in high school, it wasn't until I had a mentor that he's like, yo, you're charismatic. You're in the baseball team. You like talking to people. You're not dumb. Like the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you doing with your life? Like you should be doing better. And it was that talk, quite honestly, that kind of changed my life. Because before that, I was just like, I was doing the wrong things, man. I was just like smart, but with the wrong people doing the wrong things, you know, gang people, people from the block that, you know, because th these look, man, no one wants to talk about it. But the truth of the matter is like the first uh, amount of governance or structure that you see outside of your home in the street is a gang. Welcome to another episode of the Quintueres podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know it's your boy Pavel bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. If you're new to this podcast, just know that our mission is to redefine professionalism. Every week we have a different guest to join us for a very candid conversation around the conflict that they've experienced between professionalism and authenticity. Speaking of guests, the clip that you saw in the intro was with this week's guest, Anthony De La Rosa. This one's special for me for a few reasons. I get to talk to a native New Yorker and a fellow Dominicano. Before getting into the full episode, let's give you a little bit of context into who Anthony is. Anthony comes with over a decade of experience in a couple different industries, including finance, management consulting, and these days he's in tech. He was born in Brooklyn and raised by his single mom in the South Bronx. And on this episode, he's gonna speak about the lessons that he's learned at home and how that translated to his corporate experience. It's a dope conversation that you're not gonna wanna miss. So let's get into the episode. Let's start the conversation where we always do with the word authenticity. It's such a buzzword, yet when you hear the word, what does it mean to you? To be authentic, really, you have to understand everything around you. And that's how really I try to approach authenticity with like a what is the world telling me around me and like, who am I because of that? And like that reflection coming out to the world is what I consider authenticity. It's, it's fascinating authenticity because I think our families have so much impact on how we perceive authenticity. And even sure. you mentioned it, it, it it's like, it's like the first teachers that we have on how we should show up, right? And But it's through their belief system. Like, tell me a little bit about some of the expectations that your family had for you on how you showed up outside. What I learned really was like, I couldn't trust my mom. <laughs> That's really what I learned, right? Like, uh, if we're being if we're being honest, right? Like, I couldn't trust the information that she was giving me because it was biased, right? And her view of the world was from, you know, Lucy, my mom's name, the, the immigrant that came to this country at, you know, 20. So her scope of what she thought was possible was all limited by the way she entered the country, right? And so for me, I didn't know that immediately, right? I just, you know, you kind of just believe your parents when you're growing up, right? Um, I grew up with a single mom. So everything she said was law. And if you're Dominican, like, it's like law above God, like in the house, <laughs> right? And so really, I would say that the biggest thing I learned in terms of like the authenticity and, and the instillment of like ideas of whatnot was that there's no one that can tell me how this world works because I haven't seen it work for me. And so growing up, you know, in the hood, it was really like, yeah, I hear my teachers telling me like, yeah, you will be great if you just do X. And my mom telling me X or Y, but at the end of the day, I needed to come up with Z, right? And like Z is a combination of both. And I think that though some of your parents like values are really valuable, don't get me wrong. I think that it comes a time for all of us as people to just come to the table and say, okay, who am I because of these things, right? 
Like, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Because of my teachers, because of this. Yeah. And I often think about my family's experience also coming from the Dominican Republic. And most of our families, like, when they come, yeah, bello (laughs) mio. Hey, 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 hey. It's interesting, though, right? Like, our family, a lot of the lessons that they teach us are, like, survival tactics. They're not necessarily tactics to to thrive. And some of the lessons that I even learned from my family was just observing. I saw my mom assimilate, although she doesn't call it assimilation. And even my grandfather, he would tell me, yo, don't you dare get earrings, tattoos, don't wear do-rag outside, the beard, don't do it. Exactly, right? Like, when you think about the lessons that oh, were either taught verbally or non-verbally, like what were some of those things that your mom taught you? Good point. Tattoos <laughs> and the earrings. Uh, you got the same thing? Yeah, man. I definitely got the same thing. My mom worked, uh, she worked in a restaurant nine to four. And sometimes like in some years she would pick up the night shift. She would work like four through 12. And so that's when I would do the things that she would tell me not to do, like four through 12. Like, I don't know if you ever heard, like, so you're not gotta go lie. Like that was the yeah. theme song in my head, right? So I got like piercings, all of that. But some of the things that like- When did you get piercings? To, oh, I got like piercings when I was like 13. Like I got one piercing and, and she came back home. I already want to tell you how I got woken up. It was, she saw the earring before like I woke up. So that tells you my mom, Grew up in a Dominican household, and if you're Dominican, you're watching this. You know that that means Caribbean una tabana, and that's what happened. <laughs> oh my god! Um, but you didn't but, care. You were just like, I really want to do this. Yeah, I really want. I honestly, I've always been kind of the. I rather like ask for forgiveness than for permission. Like I don't want things to rob me of my present joy. And I've been like that as a kid. I just didn't know how to verbalize that. That was one point I wanted to go back to on the assimilation. One, like a lot of things that my parents told me, like, don't show these kids, don't do this, don't do that. Like my mom was overprotective, like don't leave the house essentially. But if you're growing up in the city, you know, that's not possible, right? Like you have to go out and then like play with your friends, you know, growing up in the Bronx, you don't want to be like in your apartment. We didn't have money for like a bunch of systems either. Like it was either that or you're outside. Um, and th- in those times, at least you're outside. But she would say, you know, don't go to these neighborhoods, don't do that. And that would be everything I would do like when she was out. And so my approach was different from, you know, the sheltered stay at home kid, uh, even though that's what my mom wanted. I went out and I was like, I'm gonna go see the world. I want a job, like I, at a young age, like I want to do everything that she told me not to do to see which things like I'm still gonna like doing. And I think that's really the genesis, like in those years of your personality, if you think about it, right? Like that's when you really start saying, you know what, I'm not going to listen to anyone else. I'm going to, you start to rebel, right? Like that's really the, the word for it. But you do it in, in such ways that you don't know how to categorize it until you get older. And so I think that's where I've gotten to now, which is like my affinity to do what would be considered destructive things to my mom or things that she wasn't accustomed to were ways of discovering myself. Mm. Would you say, like if we had to ask her, would you say she'd be like, yo, ese niño estaba mal criado? I just look, I, you know, I'm not going to plead the fifth here. But I know <laughs> my mom uh, knows that. Yeah, I was, I was definitely malcriado too. But look, it's all like, it's all about the perspective, right? Like you, mm-hmm. we're joking about this, but this is the basis of a lot of like miscommunication and arguments, mm-hmm. right? Like people just they think they categorize the same thing as the same thing, but they don't. And mm-hmm. so they end up like us or my mom telling me, you know, you're being malcriado because I wanted to go to a party. 
after working, you know, and after going to school and after picking up my little sister from, you know, babysitting and doing my chores. And it's like, everyone else is doing this. So how am I this malcriado, right? If everyone, so like those categorizations, whether they come from your mom, from your career, from your friends or whatever, they're dangerous, right? Because you, they kind yeah. of stick with you over time. You know, you go to the therapy and you're like, you know, I went to therapy and I was like, yo, I wasn't a good kid growing up. And the therapist is like, what made you think you weren't a good kid? And I was like, what the? F <laughs> so it's literally yeah. like those questions for me that like, and those moments um, in time that really like make up life, like those life, like it could be one sentence from a person, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh shit, I never thought about that. But yeah, no, it's, simulation it's, is, is a lot. But she, yes, it's, to answer your question, malcriado a little bit, but by whose definition? I love that. And it's interesting, like, I don't know why, but it made me think of my abuela, not that she was... Well, it makes me it made me think of my abuela because she, I think, is like always on her feet. She doesn't like to sit down. She's always like needing to do something. And whenever I go visit, you know, my mom and my grandma, which I'm going to do later, everyone is telling her to calm down, to mm. sit down, to stop moving. But in reality, it's not because it's like detrimental to her health. It's because in reality, it makes everyone else around her more comfortable if she sat down but in essence they're trying to control her but Yo, that just we've, goosebumps. Um, I've never we've never it. we've never asked her like do you want to sit down you know what i mean mm. that is such a profound like reflection because i've uh, i've never uh, there's currently someone in my life that i li it's my wife i'm literally like please sientate por favor like, <laughs> please sit down you're you're making me essentially if i got to the bottom of that feeling say you're making me anxious right it's not about yeah. you and what you're trying to do but that's so interesting because that's exactly what we tell ourselves like in workplaces right like i need to either go harder or go less harder based on the things that other people are telling you right even performance is based on that but how much of it do we gauge based on what we want to do right like como la, like your grandmother like do we want to sit down where do we want to speed up where do we want to sit down proverbially right i feel like mastering that is what gives you like a good career a hundred percent speaking of career so your mom working at a restaurant and you itching to go outside i'm wondering like as you're exploring your neighborhood and really the world what sort of representation or early ideas did you, did you even think about career-wise i was one of those kids i was not malcriado in school because i was smart i just didn't like i just like to talk but i would like do well on my tests because i genuinely enjoy learning that's one thing that i would say kept me off the streets it was i genuinely love like it didn't matter what it was like the topic if it was when myspace came out i was learning how to code like html i dropped the bag there should have kept doing that uh, <laughs> i would take pages and flip them right like i would take cds and burn them i would sell skateboards i wanted a hustle because things were tough at home to be quite honest like i grew up you know government you know welfare everything you could imagine and honestly for me in high school it wasn't until i had a mentor that he's like yo you're charismatic you're in the baseball team you like talking to people you're not dumb like the fuck are you doing like, what are you doing with your life? Like, you should be doing better. And it was that talk, quite honestly, that kind of changed my life. Because before that, I was just like, I was doing the wrong things, man. I was just smart, but with the wrong people doing the wrong things. You know, gang people, people from the block that, you know, because th these, look, man, no one wants to talk about it. But the truth of the matter is, like, the first uh, amount of governance or structure that you see outside of your home in the street is a gang, um, actually. 
and you'll see it in church, right? But like, if you're in the street, different gangs do different things like community service, et cetera. I'm not trying to like sit here and tell you gangs are good for people. Uh, but the first instance of structure that you see someone outside of your family care for you in the street, just remember that that's like the, the filter I'm putting on it. Um, is a gang, right? And so I found gang member homies that were super cool with me. They're like, hey, pull up through this. I, I was free from four to 12. I would go do that, those things, right? My principal caught wind of it and he's like, absolutely not. Come to this after school program, got into mentoring. The mentor at the time, he was a risk manager at a private equity firm. And I was like, whoa, I live in risk. Like a dramatic <laughs> in my head, like I live in risk. I want to manage it. Like, I, if there's a way to manage this stuff here around me, like I want to learn how to do that. That was my perception of risk management at the time. So I was like, let's go. And so um, I basically, before I went into college, into finance or whatever, picking a career, I thought above anything, I want to be a risk manager. And so um, that was kind of like the genesis of it. I knew it had to do with finance, et cetera. But before all of that, I was always like a, a money man. Like I wanted to make money. That influence of... I would say just like the community is so influential and people don't talk about it enough. Like, I think I know I could have easily wound up in jail or like easily wound up in a bunch of situations that my friends ended up in. But divine intervention, let's call it. I ended up just taking the train and going home instead of to that other spot. You know what I mean? Yo, I like, just got goosebumps again. Like I'm telling you, the taking the train home has happened to a lot of us kids, yeah. a lot of us New York City kids. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It was just got so excited about that because uh, it's true. Nah, like, nah, nah, interject, man. But not, I mean, for example, like, I don't know if you remember, but at one point, and I went to Cardinal Hayes, by the way, on the concourse. concourse I don't know if you remember, but I... <laughs> Yo, at one point in New York, and I don't even know how old you are, but there was like this big wave of like, I don't want to call them gangs, but they were like ENTs, entertainment groups. Boy, and I like, was, I was a yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my, yo, yo, me, but it was weird because like the head dudes, oh, bro. All right. So the head dudes were like gang affiliated, but they would just kind of have this like ENT and they would just throw parties and then you know, to have girls and all this kind of shit. So at one point I joined one of them and it was like, it was just a, it was a bunch of friends. So I didn't have to like get jumped in or nothing like that. Right. Yeah. But I, my beats? boy, yes, I had beats. <laughs> they were, <laughs> I had a handshake and everything. That's awesome. Bro. Tell me how at one point I'm taking the train and they were like, Oh, we got to have a monthly meeting. I was like, Oh, bet. Let's go. I don't know what we're going to talk about. And my boy hands me a box cutter. And was like, yo, you might need this. I was like, this is my first meeting. After that, I'm like, bro, this is not for me. I'm not yeah, that dude. Right. So listen to this. Any meeting yeah. that I need a box cutter for and I'm not working yeah. at CVS, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> not for me. That's a fact. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that monthly meeting thing because that was the first time I observed structure. And it was at a gang meeting. I would come to the monthly meeting to check it out. And in that meeting, they were like, all right, we're going to collect $5 from all of you. They collected $5. Everyone mm -hmm. knows they're going to collect. And that yeah. pot went to like help the family or whoever, like whatever happened to any one of them around there, it would go to help them. So in that meeting, there was one that was like, hey, my mom's struggling with rent. And it was like, what the, f for me, like imagine exploring a network of something that you've never seen before. You're like, and it's the first time that you see like whatever your mother has told you not be completely true, right? Like mm. 
that was the first time where I'm like, wait a minute, I need to see more of these scenarios, right? And it was like in a meeting similar to yours, I need a box cutter, but um, <laughs> I decided not to be like involved overall, like for time, but it was definitely like the first sense of, okay, there are structures that support us beyond our homes. And obviously there are negative ones and positive ones. And so like you get into the game of life and picking which ones, and I think it goes over time. It's this interesting crossroads for you, it sounds like, around the time, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the emotions and feelings that I'm hearing are almost acceptance and like seeing for, for more than kind of like what you've been labeled before. But I'm saying crossroads because, and I'm getting goosebumps, it's like on one side, you're feeling maybe accepted by this community that, that, that you found. But on another side, you're also being recognized and seen as valuable for traits that you may not have seen from like mentors risk managers people in finance tell me yeah. about the thought process around who do i fuck with what road do i choose it was pretty simple for me to be quite honest remember i told you man i have a nose for money the big ass <laughs> nose but it's for money <laughs> to be quite honest like i saw that the, the one group right let's call it group a was at home in the community doing things that are of interest to people my age and then the group b for me were outside of my community doing things that were interesting to me but outside right of like my scope but one thing that was like completely different was the amount of investment that i the amount of return that i saw in the investment from each groups right like for example i would spend time with group a like in some gang whatever thing and they'll be like okay let's go chill whatever the return for me was nothing. It was negative, right? Like I'd go either spend money or I'll go be affiliated more or I'd be going down a more dangerous path. And I, and I did go to jail. Like I went to jail at 15 just for like a day. I got into a stupid fight that I shouldn't have gotten into. And that was one of the times that my mentor was like, bro, you need to stop and like change your life. And my mom, like I need to make a mom send me to DR. But that moment, like in the middle of those, is, I would consider the storm, right? Of when I made the selection of, all right. And that must have been like going into 16 where I'm like, I need to stop fucking around really. And it was like, I need to use this brain. It's good for something. I need to use it and I need to use these skills. Right. And so that's really how I chose really. It was a push for my mom in which she's like, Hey, you need to make a decision, like what you want to do. So I always thank her for that. And a push for mentors, like making you see more of yourself, which is why I'm always thankful for people in the workplace that look at you and are like, yo, you could be doing so much more. Because you don't see that every day, right? Like you don't see that in the mirror. You don't see that in your own friends, right? Because your friends know you. And after a while, they kind of figure out what you can and can't do. But for someone to come in that it's not as close to you, let's say a colleague or someone at work or in another professional space or outside and be like, yo, you could do a lot more. You're not thinking big enough. That was what a mentor did for me, which it was like, bro, you're wasting all of this. And um, that's how I made my selection, which was like, yo, one of them is going to get me to a finite point, which might be jail or dead. And the other one might give me a chance. And so I'm about rolling the dice and the chance. And that's what I did. On February 25th, 2022, I quit my high paying job at TikTok. I signed an offer letter to make about 300,000 for the year. That included a signing bonus that was almost twice as more as my mom made in an entire year. It was scary. The plan was to turn at the time my side hustle, AKA Plural or plural 
into my full-time gig but at the time all i had was a shopify store and that shopify store was selling art and apparel but it wasn't making much money if i'm being honest we could probably round down to zero maybe a couple hundred dollars every month maybe saying no but sales are sales yeah but that's not gonna pay my mortgage the podcast was growing and I knew there was a way to monetize that among other things, but I've been treating my side hustle like a hobby. I wasn't focusing on revenue because I didn't really need it. Again, I had this well-paying job, but I kept having this itch that I wanted to scratch. And this, this question kept coming up. Well, what if I dedicate more time to it? This thing is growing so quickly, but what if I do it more often? What if I do this, do that? And eventually I just said, fuck it. Let me go dedicate myself full time. Worst case scenario, if it doesn't work out, I'll go back to corporate. February 25th, 2022 was that day. And today's episode is going to talk about what I learned since then in this entrepreneurial journey and what's next for the business. This episode of the Ginduetas podcast is sponsored by McDonald's. Since 1985, McDonald's has given over $33 million in scholarships. You can win one of 30 scholarships available and win a scholarship of up to $100,000. This year, McDonald's is giving away $500,000 in scholarships. Since 1985, Hased has helped aspiring Latino students achieve their dreams of going to college. But despite students' unwavering desire for progress, they still feel lost and powerless, making the need for support greater than ever. And that means it's time to hacer more. Students can apply to McDonald's Hacer National Scholarship and go further like Katia in Chazareta. To apply to the McDonald's Arcer National Scholarship, visit mcdonalds.com slash hacer. That is H-A-C-E-R. And let's fast forward a bit to when you eventually, you know, get into that first adult job where you're just like, oh, shit, I'm here. I was thinking about this the other day. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that go into some of those early work experiences. And some of it is just like what we see in the media. Some of it is like our family advice. Tell me about how you showed up. First day, I have a beard and I have a suit and like slick back hair, nothing else. Like I just wanted my beard to grow. And I remember like one of the managers there, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna tell you something, dude. That's like, you should probably shave, you look like a terrorist. And I was like, I thought he was joking. So I laughed, right? And I think this has happened um, to a lot of people. So I was like, <laughs> laughing it off or whatever. And then I came back the next day and I started to notice everyone was like clean shaven, right? Like everyone, there wasn't a soul on the floor. Like this is, financial services, insurance company, like just came off the uh, the recession, just rebranded. Like it's literally a, what you would call in finance, like a voice floor, right? Like, and that's when it hit me. I was like, these people are nowhere near anything that I've ever met or have interacted with on a daily basis because I just didn't know them. And two, like anywhere near or from anyone that I recognize or know from back home, right? Like I've never, I never interacted with all these people like before that, right? And when I say all these people, it's like a diverse set of people, but almost homogenous to one sense, right? Here's the thing. After that, it kind of just showed me like, oh, I need to show up differently here. And so I did shave, like I did shave. And I regret that, like it's, it's almost as simple as like, a, it seems kind of like 
dismal thinking about like how small that was, but I did shave it. And those are things that I, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I look back at now and I'm like, fuck that. You know, like I wish I could speak to 22 year old me, 21 year old me. And I do, right? Like this is the way that we change this. Like you show up to our workspaces with our lessons and we apply our learnings and that's it. Like we go and you know that if someone says, Hey, you should shave you tell someone like, yo, don't fucking don't do that. And two, don't ever say something like that, right? As a manager or a person of some influence. And so um, really that was the biggest lesson from like being at that first instance of a career, being on the floor, uh, learning new things, learning new language. Like I saw an Excel sheet with like 70 tabs that I had, like I had, I knew Excel and I was like, what the f like, and everyone just knew it. And so I just felt like, yo, you know what? I don't know anything. But I know one thing is I will I'll work every single one of you to the bone. Like there's nothing else I can guarantee. I don't know what you know. I'm not connected to who you know. I don't care, to be honest. But I will show up before you at that time. Like that was my mentality, right? Like to learn. But I would show up at 7 a.m. Like work started at 9. People would roll in at like 8.50 at 9. I was there already. I was reading like the product. I was learning how to price it. I was learning the business. And that's what it took, right? To learn and feel comfortable. And I think that um, there come times in your career where you have to make these like slingshot moves, right? Uh, like a Dominican, I always play with a tira piedra when you're like, pull it back <laughs> and like, let it go. And that's really yeah, yeah. what the slingshot is, right? You feel like you're regressing in some way, but like you're propelling yourself forward. And I think that for me, that's what it was. I felt regression in the sense that I didn't want to be working, you know, seven to seven, 12 hours a day when my shift was like nine to five but it propelled me when i started to like do a lot more business than other people and and like come up in conversations that i wasn't even a part of before or rooms that i wasn't a part of before and so there is a like an element of like hard work needs to be like part of the equation right like how you spread it is up to you it doesn't have to be continual but hard work needs to be a part of it I'm curious for you where does it come from for example i've heard some people on the podcast say well, I need to outwork everybody because I'm already getting signals that they're not taking me seriously. So in order for them to take me seriously, I'm going to put in the work. I'm going to show them that I belong here. For other people, it's just, yo, money's the motivation. I just want to, you know what I mean? Like, what was it for you that makes you show up at seven versus nine? There's got to um, be something there. Yeah. Uh, yo, you're like a therapist. This is a podcast, <laughs> like a therapy session. Uh, the, I, for a long time... I told myself, this is for my mom, for my sister, for my brother, like working my ass off to like give myself and then like opportunities that we just didn't have growing up. And so that's what really drove me like through college, through everywhere else. That's the one thing I've always kept. That's my North Star, to be quite honest. What hap has happened though, is like a shift in energy, right? Like that's what I would consider cheap energy. I and mean, it's like a concept I learned. You use these energy sources. Some things will motivate you, right? And then you use them for energy. It could be like a, if you're working out, it's like an Arnold Schwarzenegger video. Um, if you're like at home or something, it could be like a message from your mom, et cetera. For me, because I was you know, alone and on my own, it was really like, these are the things that motivate me, but that was a source of cheap energy because I made an excuse to work myself into like the bone and toxicity all because it was worth this North star, right? Which was like my mom and my sister and like three years of therapy and like just getting to know yourself, you realize I just love learning. It wasn't about them, like them being good is a byproduct of me learning, but that is like my own personal thing that I like doing that propels all of us forward. And therefore, like, I'm not driven by cheap energy. It's like, 
internal like want of accomplishment to do one thing or learn one thing and as a byproduct they are also benefactors of it don't get me wrong i'm still driven a lot by like the motivations i have of like making sure they're good but before anything like now because i burned myself out at work several times already you know to your point on like saying hey i need to show up uh, through therapy i really learned those like yo i just love my work product like i love my name being like next to something that i took and like from point zero to one um, and i love that process like i'm a fool for thinking it was anything else and like i just like to produce like high quality stuff I'm curious in in those like early experiences at work, right? There you are getting this feedback on your authenticity, right? And you know, in some ways, you're making adjustments. You shave a big part in moving up in corporate America isn't just putting in the work. Like you got to build relationships internally. Was it difficult for you early on to build relationships with people that you may not have interacted with in your community? I would say no. There's one thing that like threads people together usually. And it's like sports because um, <laughs> it's a bunch of men. <laughs> it literally, it's um, it's either you're watching football every day, or you know of or played any sport that you can talk about. And so for me, like I played baseball, I would just stay like. And so that would be like the way I ah, you know, like yeah. usually how it starts, right? Before anything else, it starts that way. At least like with men, it wasn't tough to start the relationship. It was tough to really see what was behind it. Mm. Like, what was the motivation? Uh, like, why should we be friends? Why should we remain friends and stuff like that? I would consider a survival tactic, really, like that. You come into things questioning like that, right? Because I'm from the Bronx, bro. Like, I'm not going to show up to a workplace in the 52nd floor with all of these people that I've never interacted with and of a different shade that I've never seen so much of in my life, and just be like, I can trust all of you. It was more like, okay, I'm going to learn, and I'm eager, and I'm excited, but I'm always watching my back. Like, I'm bro. always. Like, I'm like, yo, this is cool, but I got receipts. I don't. <laughs> you know what yo, I'm my saying? mom, my mom early on, she told me not to go to happy hour with my coworkers. She was like, it's Wait, a I'm setup. Curious, like, what was, what was the, what was the impetus? Like, what, what did she think? It's a little bit of like that trust factor. Like it was like, yo, it's a setup. They're there to get you drunk and they're trying to get like dirt on you and that you're going to, that they're going to use on you later type of shit. Like that type of stuff. And that was oh, ingrained in me. Something? Can I say something though? she's not wrong <laughs> she might have a point but for her to think like that and therefore for you to think like that sometimes like for that to be great is crazy right like that like that polarity of those two thoughts being an opposite and you wanting to like get deeper in in the workplace right and like develop these relationships because our parents haven't been there like they don't know what it takes right like we can yeah. just talk to them about it at least my parents haven't been there like they don't you're yeah. like it was like my mom i'm sorry just not to deviate but like i would be in high school and she'd be like stop fighting people back and i'm like i need to fight back like if i don't fight back whenever someone does something or whatever i'm gonna be a, whatever it is to these people and they're gonna make fun of me and they're gonna continue it like that was the vicious cycle of like a new york city high school which mm -hmm. was like if you get bullied and you let it happen it will continue to happen and that was a lesson that i took like not only there but to the workplace i'm not about to you know let people just walk all over me right like my mom didn't fucking come here on a boat or whatever she did to get here and live in an apartment and live like under these conditions for me to just get thrown around like work uh, it's just not i refuse to for you it sounds like you started using work as validation and i use it too before 
I used to wait for my first performance review in order to start being a little bit more myself. Because I'm like, hey, if anyone says some shit, I'm like, yo, you know, I, I actually the performance. Like, why are you telling me to, you know, not wear sneakers? I'm making this up, right? Or like, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Like, I'm hitting my numbers. Like, what are you talking about? When was it for you when, you know, maybe it was a certain job, maybe it was a title, maybe it was a certain amount of uh, income bracket. Like, when was it for you when you were like, I'm feeling really comfortable being myself at work? That's a great question. I think there's, to be quite honest, I'm still getting there. Like that's the full real honest answer, right? Like I still feel I'm the most authentic I've ever been, but there are still things that like, and maybe this is more my personality. I feel like everyone should know everything that I, I do feel you should show up as yourself. But like when I say self, I mean like the parts of yourself that you want people to see, right? That should be visible to people and who you let into that is up to you, right? Like you might have different levels of intimacy with you know, you're some close friends that you do with others, right? And, and we don't like try to say, hey, those two relationships are different. It's just like a different level of intimacy. And it's not one that's less important or more than the other. But I would say this, I left AIG, which was a very like suit and tie kind of place, sitting on the floor or whatever. And I went into consulting um, at Erson Young. And in there, I saw the most diverse people I'd ever seen. It was a great company culture. I got to travel for work weekly and that gave me confidence, but it was, it was fake confidence. You know why? Because like I, you come in and you're like a senior consultant. I didn't know shit about consulting at the time, right? Like I, I just knew my product domain and like what that was and had expertise there. But at the end of the day, like I wasn't a, a I didn't consider myself a senior consultant. And so that created kind of like this dichotomy between me and like whatever my role was that I never really thought on either the role above or beneath it. Like I just didn't think about the role too much. So for me to show up at work, like at consulting, and I, there's one thing I do care about, which is money. Like the role I don't care about, but I don't want to make it seem like, hey, I just go to work and I love learning and I love working and that's it. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, but I think where I started to feel way more comfortable and showing up as my true self was probably when I joined Uber and I got into tech. I feel like, uh, either financial services or professional services, uh, both of which I've been in, were more, I would consider, buttoned up and a certain element of like prestige and, and like this robustness and governance and all this, like the things that make them slow. And so yeah. when that was stripped and, and I got to Uber, where like things like, we'll figure it out, are encouraged, right? Or like mm. less reporting lines or you decide what to do or, you know, that ability to take risk going exactly. back to your early childhood. Uh, well, yeah, it's encouraged and, now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yo, you really are a therapist. I'm. I, this is must be like an episode of Punk, uh, where you pose as a as a podcast. But it allowed me to take those. I mean, I started taking risks when I left AIG, right? Because that was no one talks about this. But leaving your first job as like a first like Gen Latino, first person to have a job, and head of household, because a lot of us have those too. Like you got to contribute at home. That shit was the most like daunting experience I ever had in my life. So this was like in 2016. I literally took a look at my 401k. I had savings. I lived with my buddy or roommate of mine. And I'm like, I'm so depressed at work. And it's so toxic for me right now. That if I need the whatever money is in this 401k at 65, I didn't come here and do whatever the fuck I needed to do, to be quite honest with you. Because if I need whatever 510k I have in here, um, and I'm using this to like kind of hold myself and find a new job. 
And I didn't do what I needed to do. And so I took the money out, I quit my job. I didn't have another job lined up. I didn't have the Ernst Young job lined up. I was just like, literally cold email someone. It's like, yo, I'm going for it. Because I told you, like, I didn't, I had the nose for it. And like, I worked before. I didn't care about like, I don't care about trying the risk. What I do care about is like when you jump. Like, so you can say, hey, you know, I'm going to prep myself for like this mountain that I'm going to jump. The prep, whatever, I'll get to the cliff of it. When you get there to jump, it's always a little more difficult. I don't know if you ever went cliff diving, but you're like, yo, I'm going to go do this. And if you look down, you're like, whoa, 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 I don't know. Maybe I need to chill. And so that first quit gave me a lot of encouragement of like, yo, I could do this. Right. And then securing that job and like a big salary job four months later gave me more confidence. So I think confidence yeah. really is like a, confidence is a ladder, right? You build that shit up over time, yeah. like some moves, right? And some yeah. things come and try to take it away. But quite, quite honest, like Uber is where I really, I feel like I'm, I don't hold anything back where I'm like, I don't, I think this, I think that, I think X, I think you should do Y. I'm being mm. my full self, like 24 seven showing up. And it makes me feel like I can do this all day. You know, and I think that's the difference, right? When you're like not holding pieces back, like holding a piece of you back yeah, is yeah, literally yeah. like chaining a cinder block to you, right? Like you feel like you can move, but you can never move like as swiftly as you want to. And I think yeah. that's really the difference of being in tech and not having these buttoned up structures. I think the clothes obviously help too, by the way, like just chilling in your own hoodie and like, it gives yeah. you a sense of comfort, like wearing, you know, showing up or individualism, at least showing up with like whatever you want to wear you can't do that in like consulting, right? Where you're going to a client and you're showing up. <clears throat> it's not part of the culture. So I think yeah. being at tech, in tech at Uber has made me feel the most authentic. When we finally make that decision to be our most authentic self, I don't think we just like one day completely show up as a new person. We often do it in like baby steps, if you will. Mm. One day we're like, I'm going to do this to see how people are going to react to see if this is a safe space for me to continue unpeeling the layers of myself. For you, what was that first thing where you just, let me see if maybe Uber is the right place for me to be authentic. And then what was that mm. reaction from people of you being a little bit more of yourself? I agree with you. It is in bits and pieces. It was with the interviews, actually. I knew really? for a fact. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you why. At Ernst & Young, like, and no offense to the company, loved it. The culture was amazing. And the people were amazing. It was the type of work that we did and how we did it and how we showed up to do it that really didn't allow me to like show up as my authentic self and it's really because like your true opinion is always hidden away from the client like if you're if you're not like the partner if you're not like a senior person like your opinion is really whatever the partner's opinion is and there are some partners that you could feed them things but at the end of the day like it didn't give you that comfort of okay do my ideas work in real life it just i didn't like the fact that one it was embedded in the culture that I couldn't show up as myself. Like myself is to be like, hey, I'm learning these things and I'm observing these things. Now, like, this is what I think we should do. What do you think? That is my right. natural persona. That is just right. me. I do agree with like your hypothesis that if change comes, it probably does come in like waves before you're fully authentic. But I do think there are some use cases in which like someone, you make the decision over time, but it shows up in one bang. And I think for me, it was like at Uber. Once I made the switch, I told myself like, I'm not going to fake this. I'm going to be 100 with everyone. I'm not going to hide my tattoo, like my sleeve. I'm not going to hide anything. If I'm wearing earrings one weekend because I was at a party or whatever, and I felt like being cool, then I'm going to wear them to work the next day. Like, it's just about doing what you want to do and putting yourself in the player one mindset, right? Like that being number one. How do you think you've been received? I think I could be 
stern, maybe like perceived uh, stern sometimes. Some people will come and like interrupt you or on a call. I don't accept that. I'm like, please don't interrupt me. We're, we're humans. <laughs> I will be that person and be like, yo, don't don't disrespect me. <laughs> it's not even about like. It's not even about like, yo, I, I need to respect. It's more like, yo, I'm not doing this to you. I'm very like calm and tone. Like I, I've never I've never gotten into like a fight at work or anything like that. I'm just saying like people will be like, oh shit, he's not someone like to mess around with like too much. You know what I'm saying? Like I joke with everyone. And it's not yeah. like anything else. It's just like, yo, have some respect. That's got to be the first time you did that had to be fucking terrifying, though, especially like as a well, Latino, bro, because I, I just said, it, like, because, you know, I'll, I'll give you research, too. And I forget the source, but like they say on performance reviews, people of color, Latinos and, and, and black people in particular, we get feedback based on our personality instead of performance. And this isn't like on the on the quantitative That's, part it's on the oh it's on the open-ended text fields quality. like the words that they used on the qualitative side it's always talking about personality so for you listen i've been labeled aggressive before so when you say stern i feel like people have said something different to you no nah, no nah. i my performance that's one place like i guess maybe saved but um people just the thing is that i'm also like wildly amicable like i'm i'm the type of person that'll be like hey don't interrupt me like to you right on a call and then I'll go back to you and be like, hey, I'm sorry that I said it that way or, hey, I'm sorry that I came off this way, but this is why I said it. And then, like, I'll make sure the relationships and the people are, like, still intact. Right? I do care. The thing I care about most is human connection, to be quite honest, like, at work. And that's why I show up as myself, because, like, I hope that in showing people my interests and my life outside of work that they do the same, right? I've learned so much in being authentic. You asked me, like, oh, how have you been received? Like, people have shared... Dude, like I know things about coworkers that like personal stuff, right? And that's yeah. how I want to operate, like in this space. Like I feel like the work and everything is the relationships are just more beautiful when you know, like, okay, mm. I'm not perfect, neither is this human. So this message that they sent me can't possibly be them asking for perfection, you know? So you knowing how people operate and how they talk outside of work and what things motivate them like authenticity is the best strategy like no funny shit like i'm not even trying to be a spokesman for authenticity but <laughs> the truth of the matter is like when you take your coworkers outside go at the happy hour with your mom that was your opportunity to be authentic and that was their opportunity to be authentic with you and after a couple of beers if you've been in any of these places not encouraging drinking people get real authentic and you see like just how authentic they might be Right. Yeah. And I think that getting to those moments faster allow you to know, like, okay, who can I develop a relationship with and who can I not? Right. But yeah. uh, sternness and, and all that stuff, stand your ground, bro. That's my message to everyone all the time. When you're at work, stand your ground. There's something like that's really bothering you. Think about how you're going to say it, maybe validate with other people too. But if you really feel strongly about something and interrupting people is like one of those things that I feel strongly about, I'm going to say something, bro. <laughs> I just can't be quiet. It's like the New York City subway things. If you see something, say something. Say I'm something. Gonna say something. I'm like, yo, don't do that. Straight you know, face you're gonna you're gonna say this is a therapy session again, um, and I got one more. <laughs> no, before I get <laughs> before I get into this last question, it, it's worth mentioning because it's really fascinating, right? Early on in your early career moments, you know, I was asking you like, was it difficult for you to build relationships? And you were like, nah, like I well no, but kind of. You're like, yeah, I built relationships, but it was superficial. I could only talk about sports, and in some ways. 
I think it was because you weren't being authentic to who you were because you weren't allowing yourself to do that. But he, here you are now. If I were to ask you, like, is it difficult for you to build relationships today? You'd be like, nah, people tell me their deepest, darkest secrets because they see a reflection me being authentic. They almost feel like comfortable being like that's what I try to tell people. Like if we really want to change corporate culture, whatever culture we want, like it needs to start with us, like because people will only feel comfortable being authentic if we sort of give that energy off as well. But I love where you are now and we're obviously not done growing. Right. So as you look forward, what's the one thing that continues to empower you to continue being your most authentic self at work? The proliferation of like Latinos in the workplace and people coming into it that fires me up to carry on like lessons and make sure that I'm like continuously mentoring people that come into these places and the best way to mentor bro. And I realized this, and it's so corny that I'm going to say this because I hated this growing up. It's like setting the example, right? Yeah. When we grew up, I couldn't, like when I was playing 64 in the Bronx, I could have never told you that you would be doing a podcast or someone like my color would be here doing the things that we do, all of us. Like this was an unknown world. And I mean that by no short of imagination, unknown world. So to be here today and be like, okay, I'm, I'm from New York. I moved to Miami. I, I live a really good life. Like I do, I live no shame about it. I think that our biggest thing to do is show everyone else like, yo, you too, you kid that just came into the workplace and don't know, like if you're going to be here in the next 10, 15 years, I'm telling you, you will, you will. If you find your authentic self along that journey, that's really the only way you do this. You can't get to more money or whatever. You can't get to a higher status, higher gains, <clears throat> deeper relationships, deeper anything into your like, who am I and how am I showing up? That wraps up this week's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and review. The way that we're gonna redefine professionalism is by ensuring that these stories and experiences are heard by more people.